0: So I'm Peggy. I got to be here before, and uh, I can't believe you let me come back. So thank you, guys. Um, I just want you to know how much I I love your pastors, um, Pastor Bob, Pastor Char. Um, I have so much respect for both of you, and I really want to honor you. Um, you know, I... I'm getting so emotional but I interact with a lot of different pastors and the purity of your heart and the love that you carry are such a genuineness and I'm very thankful that the Lord has allowed me to know you all. And I want to encourage you all to honor them. They are very special. There's a lot of churches in our nation. But they are all not being shepherded with hearts like they carry. So I just want to honor you all. Thank you for loving Jesus the way you do. Thank you for the sacrifices that you all make. Thank you for pressing in for freedom. For yourselves. And for all the people that are represented here. Thank you for being my friend. Yeah, y'all should stand up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Why do I cry every time I come here? You guys are just messing with me. All right. So you all got a piece of paper. When you came in or it's on your chair, just make sure you have it, but try not to read it and just don't look at it, even though I just brought all this attention to it. Just leave it right where it's at. But you're going to need to make sure that by the end of the service that you have a pen on you. If you're going to obey the Lord, you'll want to have a pen. So I just... I just want to take a minute and um, I just want to honor the Holy Spirit. You know, he's here. I love what Pastor Shar has been saying is that when you all started praying that you all were waiting for him, and now he's here waiting for you. And I believe tonight that he is here waiting for us. He's here. There's a lot of places of worship in our nation and around the world where he stands on the outside of the building. And he waits to be invited in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears... I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. I use that passage all the time, Revelation 3.20, when I'm sharing the gospel around the world. But he's knocking on the door to churches. And he's waiting on the outside. And you all have invited him in. And it's a holy thing. And the mess and I, message I feel like he's asked me to share with you tonight, you know, I, I really, earlier today, I, I really just sat before the Lord and, and I was, I was kind of divided on two different messages. And then I kind of felt like maybe he wants to bring them together, so I'm really not sure how this is going to look. But this is what I do know he's here and it really doesn't matter what I say because he's here and with him here he translates things supernaturally and so whether I make sense he's going to make sense to your heart you know I love that that you all have began praying as a congregation. Man, I, I don't, over the last, really since 2020, I, I've, I've moved in this position differently in ministry that, you know, of going into the nations, and I've always known how significant prayer is. But I started making this appeal in the city of Tulsa of asking for, for God to bring me intercessors. And I, I even made appeals online, asking who are the intercessors of our city. And I and I, I found that it was really hard to find people that would even own that or say that they were that. Or the people that I met that said they were that. It was it was like they had political agendas with their intercession, and they they just had agendas. And and all I could see was. And this really hit me in 2020 because as, as I was before that, I was just taking teams all over the world. And you know, as Americans, we have a passport that will literally go anywhere in the world. And so I'm like, like it's like divine encounter. If I'm an American that I should just own a passport and I should just be waiting until he like opens the door for me to go right? Because very few nationalities have the privilege that we have as Americans and, and we have the gospel in our first language, right? And so like that, that just like shouts responsibility, like responsibility, like we're going to be held accountable before God. And so like, if you don't own a passport, I just want to tell you, you probably need to repent. You need to go apply for one, you know, a year ago, it took you about nine months to get one. It's like, it's on a short list now. And you should just have it. Like, like just be like, God, I'm just, I'm just making this investment so that like, you know, I, I don't care if you're 15 or if you're 80. Like, I'm just making this investment to say, God, I am available to you whenever, wherever you wanna take me because my life belongs to you. And so I'm not putting restrictions on where you want to take these feet that are supposed to be beautiful, right? Right? This is not even my message. (laughs) But as you begin to pray, I hope you understand that when you begin to pray and you begin to intercede, that there is, there, there's another side to prayer. And you so, it, 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 you know, we are to pray to the Lord of what the harvest, that he would do what? That he would thrust laborers into the harvest fields. Your prayer is not so that you just have a glory cloud in your church. Like it, it it's gonna have effect. It's rippling effects. That's why I'm telling you, like if you've already started praying, you're kind of late on getting the passport. You need to apply, you need to get it because as you continue to pray, and as he continues to to, to be here, and like you're coming in, and you're like, he's already here, and and we're not waiting on him, he's waiting on us. At some point, it's gonna, you're gonna have to, you're gonna be here, and he's gonna be like, okay, now. I've met you I'm pouring out my spirit and then you have to do something with it you have to do something with it you, you, you don't just pray to, to fill a building like who cares about the building you're the building like he will empty the building you're praying and, and like, like, like that's the effect So, so so, in Tulsa, I, I began asking for this, and lo and behold, God sends me to this church, and, and it just happens to be um, Earl Roberts Church. Like, I didn't even know. It, it was just in an area of our city that they call it Hope Valley, and it, it, it's just... It's like overcome, it's like there's been an assault of the enemy over this area of our city. And it actually makes no sense for the crime and the prostitution and the drugs and the poverty that's happening in this specific area of Tulsa. And of course Tulsa's faith city, but I want you to know that there are intercessors now that are crying out standing like watchmen on the wall of our city and they are crying out that the city of faith would be restored because it's been lost. And God sends me to this church and I had no idea that there was this upper room movement that was happening in this church and that there was a group there that was contending for 24-7 prayer in the city of Tulsa. Wow. And I'm just saying, God, I, I, I know I need intercessors because I know when I go to preach the gospel that it's ineffective, Unless there, there is this, this Nash team that is going before, you know, you know, Daniel Nash would go before Charles Finney. And so when Charles Finney would go in, in the eight years of ministry that he had of revival, before he would go, Daniel Nash would go before him. Months before him, and he would find other people in that city, and they would begin to intercede. And when we begin to see the outpourings of God happen in a place with Charles Finney, it was always because of Daniel Nash. And when Daniel Nash died, so did the movement. So, so I just, I hope you know what you're contending for. Because if the expectation in this room, which I don't, it's, I know it's not the expectation of your pastors. I already know that. It's not to feel the seats here. Like, like they, they, they breathe revival. Right? Like they just, they leak it. it it's, it's, the, it's the burning passion in their hearts. Why I love them. It's why I honor them. Because it, it's, it's the heartbeat of God. It, it's, it's what we need to see happen for, well, for one thing, if we're going to see Jesus come back, right? Like if we're going to see him come back, like there has to be a thrusting into the harvest fields. There has to be labors that are raised up to go. And, and I want you to know that when we look at the missionary population, it's kind of dying off. It's dying off. And so, whenever that begins to happen, then, then remnant, God begins to raise up remnants in different places because his mission will be accomplished. We just get the privilege to be a part of it. We just get the privilege. I'm really going to focus now on my message, okay? So, I, I've been going through the Bible um, this year, and um, my friend... Uh, Elizabeth is with me here and she has this incredible ministry and uh, they do this online thing where they just, they, they, they do a daily uh, through the Bible in a year and, um, And I would do devotions with my staff like all the time. And I finally just thought, I'm done. I don't wanna do any more devotions with them. And so we're just gonna, we're gonna do the, we're gonna go through the Bible um, in a year as a staff. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna dig in deep and we're, we're gonna, I'm throwing out devotions. Let's just get to the word of God and let's just let the Holy Spirit breathe on it. And let's begin to just dig in. So as I'm going through the scriptures, the Lord's just taking me through and, and, and I've read through the scriptures before, but, but for some reason, this year is unique in going through the scriptures. And I go through like Genesis, and I get through the life of, of uh, Joseph. And of course, that's always, I mean, when I was here last time, I shared my story, you know, and I just identify with with what Joseph walked through. There was so much brokenness in my childhood, so much trauma in my past, so many betrayals that I've had in ministry. There's so many things that when I look at the life, life of Joseph, it like, I mean, it affects me. And I... And I, I I need to hear the words that he spoke, that what the enemy calls for evil, that, that God is using for good, for the salvation of many, right? That there is purpose in our suffering. There's purpose in the injustice, that God is leveraging our pain. He's weaponizing our wounds against the enemy. And like, there's people that are going to receive Christ because you have, you have suffered in a broken world, but you have put your trust in a faithful father, even though you have Experienced affliction, like like there's someone on the other side of the injustice that you've experienced. And so I'm I'm reading through that and I I'm moved by it. And then I get to this point of where, you know, it's just like it comes to like this climax in the story. And then and then we move into Exodus. And then like Joseph dies, right? And and it says that it's Exodus. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. It says, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. But right before Joseph died, at the very end of Genesis, Genesis, I don't even know what the last chapter is, 50. Starting with verse 24, it says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which was promised on an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. And so Joseph died at the age of 110. That's pretty old. And he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. What did he just have them swear to do? You shall carry my bones up from here. He said, swear to me before I die that my bones will be taken to the land of Canaan. To the promised land. You see, his, his brothers, they, they came to Egypt because there was famine in the land. And God opened up this season for the deliverance of Israel through the suffering of Joseph to provide for his family. But after he died, he he, told, he, told, he made them swear that they would not leave his bones there. And yet they embalmed him and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt. They were never called to Egypt. And then it says 430 years goes by. So I did the math. In Abrahamic generations, from the time that Joseph died to the time that Moses was born, was 10 generations. In our generations, it would be 16. 16 generations. Are you tracking with me? So That's a really long time. And so then we get to this place in Exodus chapter 2. So that was just all setting the stage for you, okay? Like we have 430 years of the children of Israel that they are in a land that they were never meant to be in. And I begin to ask the question, why were they there for over 400 years? Like who did God call upon to say, hey, guys, I think we need to go back to Canaan? Like did he... Was it an elder that, like, didn't obey him? Like, like who was it? But, but it says that, that when Joseph died and all of his brothers of that generation, that, that the rest, like, their children, they just began to multiply and they began to flourish, and they began to prosper. They were prosperous in the land of Egypt, and they found themselves in a land that they didn't belong, but they overstayed their season. Now, I want you to follow me. They were never meant to be in Egypt. But when you overstay your season, you will find yourself in a place where that season will turn on you. 430 years later, no one obeyed. What the Lord had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No one rose up in obedience. God is patient. And he just kept waiting. In Exodus two, twenty-two, or twenty-three to twenty-five, it says the sons of Israel cried out for help because of their bondage. You see, what happened is because they began to flourish, because they were a covenant people. They had a promise. Abraham had a promise that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. They were going to prosper, and they were going to multiply. Wherever they were, they were going to prosper, and they were going to multiply. But if they did that in the wrong place... they were going to be enslaved. And because no one rose up and said, "We are children of covenant. We have to go back to the promised land. We we were we we swore to Joseph that we would take his body back." But they got passive in the land. They got comfortable. It was easy. It was convenient. I mean, really, it's what they knew, right? I mean, all that famine, I mean, that's where all the food was, It's where all the provision was. For a long time, that's where the favor was until it wasn't. And a new king arose in Egypt, and they began to feel threatened by the children of Israel because of the promise of God that was on them that they were multiplying. And they decided that because of their own fear, the Egyptians decided that we're going to enslave them because if they ever catch a clue that they are more powerful than us, then they will overthrow us. So we're going to enslave them so that they will never have the, the ability to overthrow us. And they began to Make the Israelites slaves. And for 430 years, they sat in slavery in Egypt until one day. One day, it says the sons of Israel cried out for help because of their bondage. And it said God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant he took notice of the sons of Israel. He saw them. Now I want you to look at this at in Exodus 223. There's something really important about this. It says, Now it came about that in the course of those days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry to and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. This word, when they cried out, when you look that up in the Hebrew, it says that they cried out to Elohim. Now Elohim is creator God. So these are children of covenant that for 430 years, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They haven't obeyed God and gone back to where they were supposed to go. Now they have become slaves because they didn't shift with the season as God wanted them to shift Nobody rose up. Nobody took responsibility. Nobody decided that I'm going to lead. I'm going to be one that listens to God because we are covenant. And 16 generations later, they did not remember they were covenant people. They don't call out to God as though they are the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is how they cried out to God. If you are the God of our fathers, creator God, if you're real. You see, because at this point, they've intermixed with all the Egyptian gods. There's all kinds of gods in their life now. But the oppression got so hard that they got so desperate. And right, that's always when God does it. Like he loves you so much, he'll let you set 430 years in slavery until you get desperate enough to look up. And even if it's God, I don't even know if you're real. But I'm crying out to you. And as soon as they opened up their mouth and they cried out, Elohim, said that God remembered. Now, listen, this isn't like God forgot. You know what God remembered? i'm their god they're crying out to me and we see this incredible response that in the backdrop of this 430 years of slavery that god is working in the backdrop of this and he's raising up a deliverer he's raising up now i mean they're on a wait list but there was something significant about when they cried out. They invoked covenant when they cried out. And I know this because when God responded to Moses, when he called him and Moses said, okay, like, right, the burning bush, right? It's, it's on fire and, and Moses is there. He takes off his sandals, holy ground, all that. Y'all know the story. Well, then he, he's like, God says, all right, go tell Israel. You're going to set my people free. You're the deliverer. And Moses is like, why are they going to believe me? Like, what do I have that, like, I mean, I'm like Egyptian and I'm, 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 from, Is- I'm, I'm from Israel. I'm like, I I'm kind of a mixed breed, God. I grew up in the house of faith. He knew the culture and the language and the customs of the Egyptians, and he knew the culture and the language and the custom of his people. He had been set up. He says, how, how are they going to believe me? And, look, and look, what he said, look what God says. This is so good. And this is important for your church to know this. This is important. I, I believe it's why God gave it to me. In verse 11 in chapter 3, it says, And Moses said to, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the house of Pharaoh and bring the son's Of Israel out of Egypt and he says certainly I will be with you and he goes on and he says but but God like how are they going to know and this is what he says and God says to Moses I am who I am now that may not seem like much but this is what this is in the Hebrew it is actually the verb of Yahweh so they cried out creator God And God responded, I'm covenant God, and I'm here. Let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer invokes covenant. Prayer invokes covenant. Do you know why we are not seeing outpourings around our nation? Because God is waiting. He's waiting for his sons and daughters to remember the covenant they have with him. And the moment that they got desperate enough, and the bondage was too much, the darkness was too much, the pain was too much, and they humbled themselves before God, and they said, we don't even know if you are real. Our Father's God, we don't know, but if you are, will you help us? He says, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. You see, because God loves us so much, and he is a covenant God, he will not violate your will. He's not going to overthrow the system with revival. When there's not an, we have to invoke covenant from our side. We have to invoke it. And as soon as we do, he's like, I've had a deliverer in the backdrop. I, I wonder, like, 300 years in, was there someone else in the backdrop? Right? 250 years in? 100 years in? I mean, we don't know. But what we do know is he was waiting. He was waiting. But there was a problem. They didn't like their deliverer. They didn't like the way that God was doing this. They got desperate and they cried out. And then Moses, I mean, obviously Moses was like freaking out, right? We know that. He's like, who am I? He's arguing with God. You know, And, and he finally, you know, I mean, as long as like Aaron will do it with me, if he'll be my voice, if he'll do this, every excuse, I mean, it angered God. It angered him because he had set him apart. God had been waiting for this, had been preparing him. But Moses didn't believe it. And he had bought into lies. And you know what happens is, is that we can invoke covenant. Like what you are doing right now is you are invoking covenant. That's why he's here waiting for you now. You have invoked covenant. And he's here and he's saying, I remember. I see you. And he's listening But there was another issue with the children of Israel. They had a lot of Egypt inside of them. Moses had a lot of Egypt inside of him. They had made agreements with darkness in the land that they had lived. And the only way they were going to experience the deliverance that God had for them is those agreements were going to have to be broken. You are asking God for your city. You are asking him for your nation. You are asking him for your families. You are asking him for your spouses, your children, your prodigals. But where do you have agreements with the enemy that you have not addressed? So you know what God did? He allowed the children of Israel to experience the plagues also. The taskmasters, taskmasters, say that the right way. It got harder before it got better. They increased their labor upon them. They didn't expect that. Because they had this narrative in their mind that as soon as Moses came to them and said that God told him what exactly what was gonna happen, they thought for sure, all right, we're out of here. Like, come on, let's go. We're gonna go out into the wilderness, we're gonna worship our God, and then we're going, we get to go back to Canaan. But they weren't ready for Canaan. They couldn't handle the promised land yet. They had so much Egypt inside of them that God was going to have to detox them on the way out. I want you to know that as you are praying and contending for your city, there will be a detoxing in your church. There will be a detoxing in your families. Every place where you've made, see, the enemy only has power where you've made agreements with him in. You know that, right? He's powerless if there's no agreements. But the reason the outpouring isn't happening right now is because he still has power. And he has power because there's agreements with him. And those agreements have to be broken. You see, you have to pay a price for freedom. Freedom. There's a price tag that's associated with the rescue. And that price tag is going to be weighty. It's going to be crushing at times. It will be painful. They had grown to love the land of idols, they didn't even know that they were idolaters. They actually didn't even know what it meant to be covenant children anymore. They didn't know. They had to learn what it meant to be one under a covenant God. Why is it so important for us to learn to receive the love of the Father? We have to learn. I mean, you have to learn to be a daughter before you can be a mother. Some of us here have to learn to be a daughter and a son again. We, we didn't grow up knowing that. We, we, we grew up calling him creator God and, and we didn't know that, that we could call him Yahweh. We didn't know that, that like Israel that, that they were considered his firstborn son. We are his sons and his daughters, and if we don't understand that, if we don't know the depth of that, if we don't know how to receive that, then we don't know how to, to interact with him. You know, that, you know, later on he, he begins to, and, and we'll get there, he brings the Ten Commandments. But those Ten Commandments, you know, I thought forever those Ten Commandments were, you know, it, it was because he was holy and, and, you know, we had to keep all of these rules. But those Ten Commandments were put in place so we did not die in his presence. He wanted relationship with us. And he says, the only way I can spare you from dying is you have to do this so that when I come, you're not destroyed. But they thought, well, it's just rules. And you and I are now in this New Testament age, and, and the Holy Spirit says, give this up and do this. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't like that rule. And he's saying, you can't live in my glory. Unless you release it, my glory will kill you. He's holy. He's holy. There is a price tag to freedom. There's a price tag to deliverance. There is a price tag for revival. You see, they had this... They were disappointed because they had an expectation on God to perform in a way he never promised them. Where in your life do you have an expectation on God to perform in a way he never promised? He promised you freedom, but he did not promise you easy deliverance. He promised us a land flowing with milk and honey, but he did not promise easy possession. He has promised us his presence, but he did not promise us easy access. There's a price tag. You have to release your control, you have to take your hands off of it. Any place in your life that you still own, you have to release control. He will not come. With you in charge of anything, you don't get to be in charge anymore. I don't get to be in charge anymore. I like being in charge. I like being in control. I like when I can, like, predict the outcome. I like when what I saw is what I get. Right? Like, that's just how we're made. We, we are selfish and we, it's all about us, and we just want it our way, and we want it easy, and, and we just, we want to hit lotteries with God. Like, I just want to get the magic numbers, and whoo, the glory comes. It doesn't work that way. He's after you. He's after me. We have to grow in possessing the promise. So, the children of Israel, as every plague hit, they would get angry at Moses. Every time they would complain, every time it got harder, they would complain. Every time it didn't go the way they thought it was supposed to go, they would complain and they would grumble. Their grumbling eventually cost them the promised land. Our grumbling, our grumbling in the presence of God will cost us. We say revival, but but if if we could get away from like that, like revival is kind of like the sexy word in the church. Right? It's like it's it's like we just think like I don't know, like just glory cloud, and like we just see all this, but but I wish I wish you could think revival and 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 you could go into a place like like when I've been to Saudi Arabia. And when I think of revival, I think about walking into my husband and I, we, we flew in, we were flying. Um, from Egypt to United Arab Emirates, and we decided that in this in this flight that that we were gonna pack our bag with Bibles and we were gonna smuggle Bibles into Saudi Arabia and we were gonna leave them all over the airport. We didn't have a visa to leave the airport, but we thought how cool would it be to leave them all over the airport, right? And like I hadn't Bible smuggled before, and so we were like we were super excited. So we just lined our bags with Arabic Bibles, and and it was really crazy because we get on the plane and and like it's weird, like when you go to the Middle East like Saudi they load flights based upon gender and so like all the women get on first and then the men get on they like actually separate you that way and I mean it's really it's really crazy. they let us set together because obviously we didn't look like everybody else and And so we get on this plane, and then as soon as we get off, we have an escort waiting for us. And they're taking us, and they take us to uh, the baggage check, and they're going to search us, which typically doesn't happen, but they were doing it there. But when you land in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, their airport is like a huge mosque. I don't know if you've ever been in a mosque before, but, I mean, it's, it's like, like every bathroom has where, like, you can, uh, they wash in their ears, and their nose, and they wash their hands. They wash all parts of their body before they go pray. And then you have these open areas, they take off their shoes, and they, five times a day, they pray toward, um, toward Mecca to Allah, their God. And when you go into this airport, it, it, it's a huge mosque, I mean, it's not like a typical airport. And so we were escorted and we go through this, this this baggage thing and they take our bags and we were not good Bible smugglers, just so you know, it was our first time. And so our bags are opened up and as they're being opened, like Arabic Bibles are starting to slide out. And, and I'm like, like in Africa they say I have talking eyes. Like my eyes just tell everything and I'm like like looking at the bag, and the Bible's slipping out, and I'm looking at my husband, I'm looking at the bag, and he's looking at me, and, and we both, and it's like Mission Impossible music in the background, I always hear background music, and so like, I mean, I can hear that going on, and we're like staring, and the guy is like, he's going, he's putting his hand through, and the Bibles are slide. I mean, they're sliding out, you can see it's saying Holy Bible in Arabic, and and it's coming out, and all of a sudden, like, we're praying, and we're staring right at it. And the guy slams the bag, and he says, get out of here. And I was like, we're not going to die. <laughs> right, because it's like like you, re- you go to jail, and you don't get out for doing that. And, and so we got through that, and then they took us. This guy escorted us to our gate, and he left us. And then we were like, Whew. all right. And so I was like, give me some Bibles. And so I'm like getting them, and I'm like putting them under my shirt. And then we took them to the restrooms because it was the one place that for a Muslim, they're not going to pick up a Bible where other people could see them anyway. So it's an honor-shame culture. And so we, we put them in stalls in the bathroom. And so I went and did off mine, and I like made it out. And so then my husband takes his Bibles, and he goes into the bathroom. And as soon as he does that, the call to prayer goes off. And, like, so everybody rushes to the bathroom in order to wash. And so, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, dear Jesus. And all of a sudden, I see him running out. And he was like, I had to get out of there. (laughs) He said, I thought I was going to get caught. I don't even remember why I was telling you this story except that. (laughs) It's a cool story. Revival. Revival. It was revival. I still don't remember. But I'm going to go on right where where I was preaching, it doesn't go like you expect, yeah no they they would uh yeah, they probably would burn them, but they would they would have locked us up, yeah, and um but, but this is what I wanna to get to. The children of Israel, as they are leaving Egypt, the plagues, the opposition, all of these things, God is dismantling things in them to prepare them for where he's taking them. But there's something that I want you to see in the scriptures is that the first thing I want you to know is that God is more interested in your character and than your destination. So you have revival I know why I was telling you now is because if you could see the faces of those in Saudi Arabia that have never heard the name of Jesus the first time, you would know why we need revival. If you've ever been to a tribe in Africa that is worshiping other gods, African traditional beliefs, and you see You see the deception in their eyes, and no one has ever told them who Jesus Christ is. They don't have an opportunity for freedom. You would know why I contend for revival, because revival means a launching of laborers. That's what it means. It's not about gold dust and it's not a, I mean these things are wonderful and and I love that God does these signs and wonders. It's like I'm amazed at the signs and wonders of God, but the sign and wonder of the church today is that we would actually reach the nations. That would be the sign and wonder. Because we're not. And here We have the children of Israel coming out of this land, and they really think it's all about getting to Canaan. It was never about the destination. God was developing them. It's always about him developing us. In Exodus 23, 29 through 30, it says this, I will not drive them out from you in a single year. So he's talking about that when he goes before them, Before them in the promised land, he says this, he reminds them, he gives them the Ten Commandments and then he reminds them again of the promise that why he delivered them from Egypt was to take them to the promised land. But he says this, I will not drive them out from you in a single year so that the land will not become desolate and the animals of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out from you little by little, listen to this, until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I promise you, they thought when the Red Sea parted and they left Egypt and they got to the Jordan and they entered into the the wilderness, they thought within a couple of days they'd be in the promised land. That was the narrative they saw and they wrote. And they thought when they got to the promised land, all of their troubles were over. They thought that they would no longer be slaves. They would finally be free. That everything would be perfect. And God never promised them the narrative that they thought. He says, you're going to get to the promised land and as you go, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to drive out the enemy, but as I drive them out, it will not happen all at once. Little by little. He had to grow them to a place where they could possess. He had to grow them to a place they could not possess a land, they could not rule. They could not possess a land that they could not be fruitful in. He said, I will drive them out little by little until you become fruitful and then take possession of the land. So my question to you is, have you become fruitful yet? Do you have lasting fruit in your life? Because if you don't, how are you going to take your city? How are you going to take your nation? God is interested in building his kingdom as he builds you. What that means is that God is developing you. He is refining you. He is sanctifying you. You are his building. You are the possessor of the land. He's building something greater that can be manifested on earth. His kingdom on earth will come through you. It was never about Canaan. It was always about his people. And that has not changed. He wants to develop you. You bring the kingdom of God. When he builds you, he builds his kingdom. It's not instant. But our possessing has to match our ruling abilities. Think about this. If he doesn't rule in your family, how will he rule in your city? If he doesn't rule in your marriage, how will he rule a nation? I know this isn't a really pretty word. <laughs> but if y'all are really, I mean, the presence of God is here. Like he really is here. And that tells me that like like he he's he's gonna pour out. Unless you're not ready. To be poured out upon. The seriousness of what you're doing in invoking covenant is he's heard. That's why he's here. It's why he's giving dreams. He's giving visions. He's giving prophetic words. He's painting the picture. This is what he did to the children of Israel. He always kept the vision in front of them. He always wanted them to know, these are my promises to you. But but as they look toward the promise, he was developing them. And the development is hard. The development means you have to break agreements with the enemy. The development means you have to surrender your marriage. You have to surrender your parenting. You've got to surrender your career. You have to surrender your ambitions. And then you have to pick up the heart of God and take on his ambition. Whatever that looks like. It's you, you buying a passport and saying, I am ready to be launched. Make me fruitful. Make me fruitful. Are you impacting your schools? Are you impacting the nursing homes? They, they don't even go anywhere. Like it's a captive audience. Like just go. Right? Like they're not going to run away from you. You can practice your preaching. Oh, they will love it. You just practice. You don't know how to share the gospel. Don't do it wrong. At least make an attempt. Right? Like what are you impacting? Where do you work? Does your boss know Jesus? Do your coworkers? Does your family? The ones you don't like? I mean, maybe you're an animal lover. Go to the city pound. Look at the dogs and share the gospel with the people working there. I mean, they have a heart of compassion or so else they wouldn't be there. Right? I mean, it's a little foot in. I mean, you got a Walmart. <laughs> Don't do self-checkout. Stand in line with the one person that checks people out. And just wait just so you can share the gospel. Just buy a bunch of groceries just so you can talk with them about Jesus. How are you being fruitful? Guys, it's his reputation that you're handling. And it matters. You see, the possession of the land, it's actually not for us. For the children of Israel, the possession of the land wasn't actually for them. It was for his namesake. It was for his kingdom advancement. It was for the reconciliation of the lost to their king. The possession is never about our authority. It's about his. And it's about destroying the works of Satan. Satan. The God of this age has blinded unbelievers. They literally cannot see the truth. But you are walking truth unless you're not. Unless you're not. So here's the practical side. So, what I want you to ask yourself: where have you made agreements with darkness? Where have you made inner vows? The things where you say, I will always or I will never. I will always be like this or I will never. I will never have a relationship with that person. That is an inner vow. Moses had made an inner vow. So when God called him to speak, he said, I can't do it. I will never. And it angered God. He brought up Aaron. Aaron was not not the first choice of God. Where have you made agreements with the enemy? Your I will never's or I will always? Because that is what you have to break. Some of you have made agreements when you were young and you didn't even know it. When I was young, I made agreements with the enemy in my trauma. And I didn't know that those agreements were going to affect me later on in life, but they did. It, it distorted my belief system about God. I had a stepfather that, 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 that would cuss me out, and he told me I was just like my mother. And it made me so angry that inside of me I said, I will never be like her. And in the middle of me as a young person, I was probably I was freshman year in college, I go back to Indiana. I'm raising money to go on missions. And I get a letter from an elder in a Baptist church who had also been the prosecutor in our county. My mom had just been had just been sent to prison for embezzling funds. And this elder writes in this letter. You are just like your mother you're a liar and you're a thief. I wasn't a thief I wasn't a liar, but that letter because of the inner vow that I had made, I thought I think I became her but it, and, and I was trying to, ju- but I never took a penny myself. It always went to the ministry, and, and then that paid for me to go. But I was justified, and it put me in a, in a spin. And it created doubt, which created destruction, that then made me think I have to prove that I'm not like my mother. I never had to prove that. In fact, I want to be like my mom now. My mom loves Jesus. And my mom has humbled herself before the Lord, and and, and she's one of the closest people in my life. But I've never met a woman that can sit down and the glory of God rests on her, and it doesn't matter who she's with. She can see right in their soul. And she has sinned so much in her past because of her brokenness that now she's like, She's just like this liquid love that breaks the yoke upon those in slavery. And here I made this vow I would never. And now I'm like, God, would you give me love like my mom? I want to be like her. I want to see people the way she sees them. Because I really think she sees them like Jesus because she found that Jesus actually saw her in her mess. What needs to be broken? What have you made a covenant agreement with that is not light? Maybe you've made it toward your spouse. Maybe you've made it toward your children. Maybe maybe you've got religion on you. That you've agreed with rules and regulations. God is after heart. The second practical thing you need to know is your flesh will never mature. It will never mature. You will have to kill it. When you're 10, when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 80, if you live to 100, you will have to kill it. The only way to live is to die. You don't get to this spiritual state that you're like, I'm above pride. I don't actually have sin of the flesh anymore. Yeah, you do. But Do you know that I think that somewhere along the way, I I think I kind of moved into this belief system that you do kind of mature. And it's actually a lie from the pit of hell. Your flesh doesn't mature. It only dies. We will only get to look like him when there's nothing left of us, no matter how old you are. So what needs to die? What have you agreed that it's just, I'm just mature? No, you're not. That actually says you're immature. You got to lay it down. You got to face some giants as you go into the promised land. Sometimes those giants aren't what's on the outside. Sometimes they're what's on the inside. You know, the, a prayer I, I've been praying for a couple of years now is, God, would you expose my blind spots? God, expose my blind spots. You know, for years, I, you know, I was discipled in the Baptist church, and so... You know, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 16. I, I prayed in tongues, but, but, but my spiritual father was a Baptist, and, and my spiritual mother was a Baptist, and, and I, I mean, they poured into my life, and I am so thankful for what they taught me about the Word of God, but I picked up a lot of religion, and I was going hard after the presence of God and the Spirit of God, and I thought... I really thought that I gave liberty to the Holy Spirit. Like, hands down, I believed that that I did not try to control Him. In fact, I would get in trouble in circles because I didn't try to... I thought I didn't try to control Him. And I was going to have a student conference. And I had met this evangelist that moved in the miraculous. Like, Like, I had, like, literally... Like the Holy Spirit told me, call this man, well not call him, I had to message him because I didn't have his number, to message him. I didn't know him, but the Lord said, that's who you need at your student conference because the only way this generation is going to get set free is they're going to have to be delivered. And he had a campaign in the city of Tulsa that was super controversial, and literally, I was on my way back from Mexico with students. I mean, I had been on the road for like 14 hours. And as soon as I got back, I, like, I didn't even change clothes. And I went to a place called Guthrie Green in Tulsa. And this guy was having a campaign there. And there was like maybe 800 people there. And the presence of God fell in that area. And they were there until 3 o'clock in the morning. And you could hear the demons screaming that were being cast out. There was a lady that I was there with that, that had her recovery home that was there. And literally the track marks on her arm disappeared in front of me. They disappeared. And when I saw this with my eyes, I thought if this generation can have an encounter with the Spirit of God like this, it will dismantle all the unbelief that has been put on top of them. And so I messaged this guy, and he just happened to be in a window of time where he would normally be in Ethiopia or in Brazil or in uh, Pakistan, that because of COVID and because of his visa, there was like this window and his campaign these are, like, his campaigns have 60, 70, 80,000 people in them. This is not a small evangelist. Like I'm nobody. And I message him on Facebook. And, and I just, I share with him what the Lord spoke to me. And I asked him to come to my student conference. And, and he immediately responded and said, I want to meet you. And so I was like, okay. And mind you, at this point, I didn't know his campaigns had all these thousands of people in it. And so I'd probably been too chicken to message him had I known all the facts. But... But I messaged him, and he comes, and there was a Christian church. I had, I had gotten out of the Baptist church because I could tell there was a ceiling. But I thought, man, I'll get in the Christian church. That'll work. And so, so this mega church in Tulsa opens up and says, you can have your youth conference here. Like, we're, we're not going to charge you anything. I mean, this is a mega church. I'm ch- Tulsa has big churches. This is a really big one. They're like, we're going to do all this. And, and I said, well, I've asked this evangelist to, to be a speaker, and he's agreed to speak for me. And they're like, yeah, we're not sure about that. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know what? Listen, if you meet him, you will see Jesus all over him. Like, let's, let's have a meeting. And so so the one of the elders came, the pastor came from the Christian church, and, and then the evangelist came and, and I'm sitting there and I said, listen, we're gonna have students from Christian church background. Baptist background, Assembly of God background, non-denominational background, charismatic Pentecostal background. Like we're going to have every denomination representative students that are coming to this. And, and, so, and so Rubens is the guy's name, the evangelist. And I was said, so my question to you is it's like, are you able to like present a message in a way that doesn't build a wall toward those that haven't been raised in the charismatic? So, like, maybe instead of saying demon, you say stronghold. You you know what I'm talking about? You just kind of change the language just a little bit. But, like, essentially we're saying the same thing. We're just saying it. It seems like, I mean, for me as a missionary, it's like contextualizing is what I thought it to be like. And so I'm saying all this, and, and Rubens is sitting there, and the Christian pastor's like, yeah, you, yeah this is how it has to be, you know. And, and uh, Rubens is, yeah, I can do that. I, can do, I work all over the world. I work with all kinds of different denominations. Yeah, I, and, and he's, I can do everything you ask, Peggy. He says, but I don't think I'm your speaker. And I said, well, well, why? How much do you cost? <laughs> I, I, listen, I don't have a lot of money. He says, oh, I won't charge you. It's not about money. He says, "He says I would do it for free." He says, "But he says I just have one problem." And I said, "We'll, we'll fix it. What, what's the problem?" I can't control the Holy Spirit. He says, "Everywhere I go, demons manifest. When I preach the gospel, miracles happen, and I can change all the words you want me to change." He says, but you're gonna get in trouble because I can't control the Holy Spirit. When he said that, something like a knife went through me. And God showed me where I was blind. I left that meeting and immediately every and I said, Well, let's let's pray about this and because I, I actually didn't even know how to respond in that moment. I was, I was humiliated. Before God, I was humiliated. I couldn't believe that I had tried to control his spirit. I, I was almost in unbelief that I had done that. And, and so I, I let them leave, and immediately the Christian pastor calls me. He's like, hey, yeah, like, I just talked to the other pastor. And, and he says, listen, like, like, he's a great guy. We can tell he loves Jesus. We can see the humility on his life. But we've worked really hard for the fat past five years to get our church to where it's at. And we can't jeopardize that for one night of manifestations. Hey, we can find a ton of speakers for you. Like, and I said, well, all right, thanks. Um, I'll get back with you. And I called up Rubens, and I said, will you forgive me? Forgive me because I didn't know that I was controlling the Holy Spirit. If you will still speak for me, I don't actually know where you'll speak because we don't have a facility now. But if you'll pray with me that God would open a church in our city for us to have this conference. I want everything that the Holy Spirit wants, whatever that looks like. And the church that opened up just happened to be the church that Earl Roberts founded. and happened to be the church that I say has the portal to heaven. With the house of prayer that's happening 24-7 in the city of Tulsa. And I remember the first night that Reuben spoke. This is what I did because I still had some Baptists in me. Right? I had some Egypt in me. He gets to the place where he's given the invitation, and I literally did this. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, what's happening? What's happening? Because I was scared. I, I was scared of what the Holy Spirit would do. You see, we don't know how much Egypt we have in us. We don't know where we're controlling But I'm telling you, I thought I was free and that I let the Holy Spirit move, but I wasn't. We have blind spots, and you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Father, would you show me my blind spots? And when he does, you humble yourself and you repent, and where you still have those those. Those things from Egypt in you, you might just have to close your eyes and say, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. God, break it off of me. Break it. I don't understand this, but break it off. God, I'm scared to share the gospel at the grocery store, but break it off. God, I'm scared to, 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 to share with my spouse the truth of what you're showing me, but break it off. God, I'm, pr- I'm scared to pray for reconciliation in that relationship because I'm angry at them, but break it off. You got to break the agreements with darkness. If you're going to have freedom. And so we're we're going to have an invitation time. And so is that you Amy for okay I've come to understand something in prayer. That as we get before the Father, there is authority in the kingdom of God that rests inside of us. It's not mine, but it's His. And when I know who I am in Him, then I can see things that are not visible but are there. We literally are giving eyes to see in the unseen. And I've come to understand that because of these inner vows and because of these ways that the enemy has assaulted us in our our upbringing, Because we live in a broken world and because of injustices, there's things that have to be broken off of us. But many of us have made agreements with curses. Many of us have, we've invited the enemy, we've partnered with the enemy, but we don't know, we've been duped. We really have. We don't even know that we've partnered with darkness. But because we haven't given ourselves fully to light, Those partnerships remain. But if you belong to Jesus tonight, if his spirit dwells in you, then all the power of the resurrection rests inside of you. The Greek, that's the kratos power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead rests in you and it rests in me. And when you begin to invoke the authority of Christ, you have the power to break curses. You have the power to sever agreements. You have the power to weaponize your wounds as you submit them to the Father. The enemy, he has been after me my whole life, and I really hate him. Like, I'm really tired of him having the upper hand. And honestly, after my dad committed suicide, there was this place in me that I was like, no more. No more. I'm done. And we began praying over an area of our city. And as I was looking at apartment complexes where we would show up in this park and literally an hour before we would show up, somebody would be shot in it. We started taking chalk and we started putting scripture all over this park and we started claiming it for the kingdom of God. We started asking God to do stuff, and I started learning about prayer. And God began to put a prayer in me of eviction notice to the enemy. It started for an area of our city. And then he gave it to me. And I want to give it to you. Because I believe as he's waiting for you, It means that in him, he's preparing you to be possessors. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to sever agreements. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do things that you feel foolish doing. But you do it anyways. You do it anyways because there's someone on the other side of your obedience. There's someone on the other side of your healing. There's someone on the other side of your freedom. You do it not just for you, but you do it for your children and for your grandchildren. You do it for those that are in foster care in your city that don't have a mother or father to stand in the gap for them. You do it not just for yourself, but you do it because you see the faces of those that are crying out in bondage. Because you have the gospel, that means that you have the kingdom, and that means that you're a part of the deliverance. You're the Moses. You're the Moses. And you literally have to run the enemy out. But you have to remember your covenant children. And he goes before you. And when you invoke covenant, you unleash heaven. You unleash heaven. So this eviction notice. And you might have to repent before you do anything with it. I'm telling you, if you think you still have agreements with the enemy, let me tell you what will happen if you sign this and you declare this. If you still have agreements, you know what will happen? It'll get harder and it will get worse. You have to sever agreements. You can't evict someone out that you're hosting. You can't be hospitable to the enemy anymore. You don't get to love Jesus and love darkness. You don't. You have to choose. You have to choose. You have to choose. If you're going to be in charge, he will not be in charge. But if you want him in charge, lay down your rights. And the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead will be invoked in you. And you will call forth the kingdom of heaven to earth. And the enemy will have to flee. It's real. It's real so much more realer than what you see in front of you i don't even know if that's a word so i want you to stand and i want to read this eviction notice in our staff conference room i have this up on my on the prayer wall and I'm a crazy prayer because I like document. And it's, I know it's my personality, but like, I'm like, I want to measure. Like, if I prayed for this, I want to see, did it actually get answered? And, so, and if there's a prophetic word, we're writing them down. And then, and then when another one comes, we see if, it, if it's close to what came. And then as things are fulfilled, we're dating it and we're marking it. And then we're like, look at this, Satan. This is the faithfulness of my God. You don't get to tell us who we are as a ministry. You don't get to, you don't get to make a declaration over my children. Look at the promises of my father. So this eviction notice, this is what it says. Serve by the authority of the council of heaven. You are hereby required to vacate and take your hands off of my children my marriage, if you're single, my singleness, my family, my health, my mind, my healing, my finances, my past, my circumstances, my future, my freedom, my calling, my ministry, my church, and my obedience. By the authority as a daughter or a son of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, I break every curse, every demonic scheme, and cancel every satanic plan laid out against the purpose and plan of God over my identity as a child of God. From this point forward, all principalities, powers, and spiritual forces of Satan are revoked of all authority over my life and sphere of influence. And I cover myself in the blood of Jesus and stand in my rightful position of the authority in the spirit realm. Today, today, I take my story back and submit my life to the authority and the plan of Jesus Christ. You want to assault and destroy the works of Satan? Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. You need to serve the enemy in eviction notice. Now listen, it'll get real. We actually had someone call our office and say they were Satan. Call it the phone call from hell. No, I mean it is fun, but it's not funny. I was in the conference room with Adriana, who was here with me last time. My mentor. We were literally praying, and they call the the our ministry. And there's someone on the other side so, on the on the phone, and they 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 say they want to talk to me. They're demanding to talk with me. They're screaming on the phone, demanding to talk to me, and they knew that I was in a meeting. They said, "Really sorry, she's in a meeting. She can call you back." Can I ask who's who this is? Yeah, you tell her that Satan is on the phone. And you let her know, we're coming after her. And we're going to destroy her family. We're going to destroy her ministry. And we're going to destroy her name. And the staff member that answered says, I'm sorry, and He says, don't you know, you don't apologize to the devil. Began to curse her and then hung up the phone. He doesn't have a right to call my office and assault my staff. So I had to draw a line in the sand. Are you going to draw a line in the sand in your city? You do know that there's principalities and powers and spiritual forces that are at work in your city to keep the gospel from going to every home. And I bet they're probably not working overtime. But you keep praying and you break agreements. And you put this on the door to hell. Actually, on the door to your church. Because we want to send them back to hell. And evict them. Come on, take your marriages back. They're worth it. Take your prodigals back. Listen, if we don't pray, they won't come home. Marriages won't be restored if you don't pray. And when I talk about prayer, it's not just like, you know, God, we're, we're asking. No. Father. It's your promise, it's your covenant. You said. You said. Tell him what he said. He wants to know what he said. He knows, but he wants you to proclaim it. And as you proclaim it back to him, it's like something's unleashed on earth. So here's the invitation time. I don't I don't even know how to you have pastors, they can handle this. I'm asking you, if you need to repent, you repent. If you need to break agreements, you break them. Listen, I can pray with you, but here's the truth. You actually just need to get before the Father. If you get before him and you're struggling, we can come alongside and we can pray in agreement with you. But listen, I'm not your source he is and you don't humble yourself before me who cares I'm nobody but when you humble yourself before him and you just ask him to take it he's going to take it he's going to break it and you begin to sever it and then I want you to grab that pen I told you you had to have and I want you to sign this I want you to date it I want you to put the time on it and I want you to go home and post it wherever you need to so that every day every morning when I go into my office I pray this again I'm like in case you forgot Satan let me remind you you're done here you're done you're done trying to take my children you're done trying to take my marriage you're done trying to destroy my name I don't care about my name I have no reputation but his name His name will be famous, and it will be famous through my life because that's what I'm on the planet to do. It's the one thing I get to do. It's the only thing I get to offer Him. All you get to offer Him is your obedience. It's it. You get to take nothing else with you but that. So I guess I'll pray, and you just need to do business with God. then you need to sign this and then you need accountability with this like you need to tell somebody you don't like sign it and be like okay no but no you're gonna really tick the enemy off that's like right don't you want to be a church that ticks the enemy off like 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 hell gets mad because you're just here but you're going to be ready You're going to be ready because you have been equipped with everything you need to run the race that he's called you to run. And he's equipping you to be possessors and rulers of this land. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come. You're here. I don't know why I'm asking you to come. You're already here. Would you manifest yourself in each heart? Would you give us a gift of repentance? God, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. I don't know how to repent. You gift me with it. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, would you would you show us our blind spots now? Would you show us where we made agreements with darkness? Show us the places where we're still in control. Show us what you're asking us to lay down. And God, as you show us, give us faith to obey you. Faith to obey you. Give us courage. Give us fearlessness. God, give us a boldness like we've never had, a fresh baptism of boldness over your church. God, make us fearless for your gospel. Make us fearless for your name. God, would you make your name holy among us again? That we exist and we live for you, for your name, for your fame, for your glory. So that the ends of the earth would know you. Holy Spirit, have your way. I'm just going to ask you to, the altars are open. Respond to him. And then if you dare, sign the notice.